0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Packard, and joining me each and every single week is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP, England Rugby's biggest fan, a fan of George Ford. AKP, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. Chaos, chaos happened, and I couldn't be happier. It was very chaotic week, actually. A lot of chaos.
0: Certainly been a chaotic start to the Rugby World Cup, and I think there's a couple of you know interesting games this weekend that could introduce even more chaos into the mix. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. But AKP, this is a podcast that's about Old Glory DC. I feel I feel like we should start with some Old Glory DC news and also mention yet again Old Glory DC officials, they seem to know when we're recording, because as soon as we record. And we edited, they published some big news. AKP, we've had a couple of player announcements over the past couple of days. Fill us in, give us the insight on the the, the news right now. Give us the, the player signings most recently.
1: Yeah, so what, right after we, we recorded, uh, Old Glory announced that Facundo Gaddis is coming back. Obviously, he spent most of the time as the the backup hooker for us. We had a bit of a conversation about him last week. He he sort of got he was expected to be the starter last year, but then um sort of got beaten out by um oh god I'm gonna forget his name again. Nick Suchan. Got beaten out by Nick Suchan. <laughs> yeah. And
0: You did the same thing last week anyway. Yeah, like, can I don't you know like okay? his,
1: <laughs> his name is just it happens every now and then. There's some players I can That's like pull good. their names despite them of playing one game for old glory, like years ago. And then other players, it's like key part of our team last year and just slips my mind. But anyway, um, yeah. So, you know, he kind of got beaten out by Nick Sucham for that, that starting role, but he, he played a lot of minutes for us last year. I mean, it was him and Sucham were like the hookers and, you know, um, Koi Koi, Nelligan getting a little bit of time at the end just for for some development. But, you know, he's at the World Cup with Uruguay um, consistently getting named to their, their match day 23s. And then also signed along with him is another Uruguayan international, Ignacio Dotti, who fans of MLR generally will recognize that name. He played for the NOLA Gold. For years um and he's a lock um so he'll probably come in as sort of a replacement i guess or a more consistent option for not Nap- api nakatini would be my guess you know we had stan south um, leave and he was pretty much replaced by um kyle bailey canadian international but um, we do sort of need to shore up that that lock room. Um, it it was a little shaky last year because Api Nakatini's getting old. He wasn't playing that much. And then Stan South goes down and you, you really only had Tavita Nangali for a moment there as the only true lock on the team. Um, and so it's, it's cool to have him on there. I feel like that really clarifies what our second row is going to look like. And then... Uh, do you have any thoughts on those guys before we, we move on to the next yeah. one
0: yeah i think um i think you're right um, more competition there at the lock position uh, a veteran presence colin gross is still going to see the field you know and then also i feel like gross is kind of that you know we'll, we'll see what he does this season is he going to play flanker yeah. right is he more suited for the flanker
1: because he was never really will he get... supposed to play lock at this level yeah. i mean he... Uh, yeah, There was a lot of conversation about him being too small for that role, which he sort of proved wrong in a lot of ways, but also, yeah. you know, is for the USA, he's played a, at flanker. So you, you have to think that probably his future is in, in the back row, not the second yeah.
0: row. You got to think Kyle Bailey's coming back, yeah. right? Like I will I will protest outside of the Old Glory DC <laughs> office that they don't bring back my favorite Canadian, that crusty old veteran, but... Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see with Dati and Gatas now that will be post the Rugby World Cup cycle, what it looks like. And again, I'm just, you know, conspiracy theory here. You know, uh, I, I wonder if if some of the reason why Gatas didn't play so much last year, was there some type of working understanding with him and, you know, Uruguay with, you know, being healthy for the Rugby World Cup? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's probably a, doesn't make any sense at all. But um, post-Rugby World Cup, I wonder what his playing time looks like, if it's going to change at all. So we'll see. But hey, exciting additions. It's good to see guys uh, coming back. Um, you know, more competition. Uh, again, I thought our forward pack was, was probably one of the stronger points. and looks like some more reinforcements. So excited about that. AKP, we got to move on and bring up this next signing. And I think this is just... You know, tapping into that Scottish pipeline, the connection that we have with, with, with Scottish rugby and Old Glory DC and the ownership group there. But they have signed a Scotland international, Rob Harley. He's another guy who's kind of that lock. He can play flanker. He had 20 caps with Scotland and he had 267 appearances with the Glasgow Warriors, which is the most in team history. Um, you know to me that says, says a lot of things durability uh, consistency uh, which is great to see there but talk a little bit about what that signing means for all glory
1: yeah no offense to uh, the Uruguayans we just mentioned but this is this definitely the biggest signing of the week he is you know an experienced veteran um, you know I mean anytime you can get a tier one international to come play for you that's great but um, you know, a ton of appearances for Warriors, you know, playing at the high le- highest level. He's, I mean, could you ask for a more experienced player? And it sort of reminds me of um, when we got Callum Gibbons, you know, another sort of overse- another <laughs> experienced overseas um, veteran at Flanker. And I feel like we've we've played a lot of youth at Flanker in in the last couple of years and it's one of those where youth can can play at flanker really easily because there's a lot of you know it really just takes energy and you can get a lot done with just being a, a really enthusiastic player at flanker but and so it's sort of the least dangerous place to put those new players but the, i do think we've missed some experience at that in that area like, when we had Mungo Mason as the captain at Flanker, it, it really made a difference, and he made a difference bringing experience and leadership to the Flanker role. And we got a bit of that... I mean, Bavaro was a, an experienced hand at Flanker, but I think probably because of the language barrier, he wasn't necessarily as much a leader in the way that he could be. You know, could lead by example, but it's hard when you don't speak the same languages the rest of your teammates and so it will be it'll be interesting to see the effect that he has on the team um and it's also another one you gotta wonder is he coming over for the same reason that Callum Gibbons came over as a sort of way to to play but also maybe make his way into to coaching um get it get a start in that
0: yeah I agree I think there's probably a little bit in there and it's funny. My mind races to a couple of years down the line when the inevitable Finn Russell signing happens. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something else? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but anywho, so yeah, some exciting signings for Ogilvy DC. I mean, if you look back over the past couple of weeks, right, the return of Jason Robertson. Yeah. Now you know that's exciting. We've got Ogilvy DC is going to be playing in a, in a new home venue uh, on grass fields you know, exciting stuff for Old glory DC.
1: And I think this is what they need too, because, I mean, you look at the people that they signed last year, they signed a lot of players who we signed a lot of new players who no one had really heard of. I mean, there were a couple of big names in there, but there were a lot of, you know, finding, digging up random U S eligible guys playing down in Argentina or things like that. And those players have turned out great. Um, And they've really contributed a ton to the depth of the team. And I think that's why we were able to like make a playoff run last year is because we had that depth, but we were missing that top end talent, you know, the, the real weight of experience, the real guys who could take you through, you know, to the highest level. And I think what you're seeing this year is, is, you know, they've got that depth of talent now they need to focus on that top end and really acquiring the the big names, the guys who are going to, you don't need that many new guys. You just need the new guys you get to, to really make a difference. And
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I think, I think that makes sense as a strategy. And I like what I'm seeing.
0: Nice. We've gotten the AKP stamp of approval. So that's important. That means a lot. It carries a lot of weight here in Washington DC. This
1: is the optimism <laughs> season. This is this is the feel good yeah. season where your team gets to sign new people, make moves and we can all feel good about our teams. This is this is the uh, the time of the year where you get to be most optimistic about the team because it has no consequences. You know, you're not going to see whether you're right or wrong for months. So But but,
0: but I I think <laughs> but I think you're onto something, right? In the off season, let's Build some momentum. Let's get the fans excited about the next season, right? So first playoff appearance last season. Won the first playoff game, right? Okay, now new home venue. Awesome. New partnership pathway with Washington Irish. Very fascinating. Jason Robertson coming back. A couple of new signings. Like continuing to kind of get this momentum, getting the fans excited about what's to come for the next season. And, yes, we've got a few months off. You know, but hey, it, it's it's fall, right? Like, we're, we're not far away from, you know, some training camp stuff. We're getting closer to January, training camp and preseason and things like that. And how can Old Glory DC continue to keep the momentum going and get the fans excited in the offseason? And, and I wouldn't be surprised if they've got the calendar out and they're almost, like, plotting, like, every couple of weeks, here's a little bit else, you know, a couple oh, – sprinkle sure. a couple of good news there and get us all juiced up and, and fired up and ready to go. So – Oh, Glory DC, if you're listening to this and you're going to release something after we record, it better be big news.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and a cool thing coming up, another opportunity for fans to get excited is um, they're letting fans come out to the Soccerplex. And you get to see the the new stadium where All Glory will play and have a chance to take in the Scotland-Fiji match, I think. I think it's Fiji.
0: Scotland... Um,
1: or maybe it's Tonga? Tonga. Yeah, no, I think it's Tonga. I think I keep thinking it's Fiji, and I'm always wrong. Which could Scotland, Which could Tonga. be a
0: very interesting match. I think Tonga's got a, has a shot there. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so they'll have they'll have the stadium open. You can come. You can buy season tickets there, so you can take a look at the stadium, decide whether you like it, get a get to take in, you know, find find a seat that you like, and and buy it as a season ticket. So that's it's another, I think it'll be cool too for, for fans who haven't necessarily been there, haven't seen what it's like there and don't necessarily know whether they want to buy a season ticket yet. You know, give them a chance to see what's going on.
0: I love that idea. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm just looking ahead at the weather. That's important. And this weekend in the DC area, it's supposed to be a little cloudy and rainy. So maybe, maybe the, the rain clouds skip past us or something like that. But, hey, it's important, right? If you're going to attend the rugby match in the rain, what's that experience going to be like?
1: And
0: <laughs> it's cla- I feel like that's classic Scotland weather, right? Like, Yeah. Drizzly, rainy, cold but not warm. I don't know. <laughs> Anywho. So, yeah, if you're there, I think AKP is going to be there.
1: Um, I'm going to be there for a bit. I don't think I'm going to be able to stick around for the game, but I'll be...
0: What's it with the Maryland Soccer Plex and rain, right? CRC uh, day one last year.
1: Yeah, uh, you know I think it's just that it rains a lot, <laughs> and that these rugby events keep being held in in the rainy parts of the year.
0: Here's my segue. It was raining tries in Utah over the weekend. Wasn't the best that segue. <laughs> when the men's Eagles they beat here's you want to hear my really bad french accent Stade to did i say that right i'm, uh, ask, uh, I'm asking an english guy
1: I, I took i took a few years of french in high school that wasn't bad i mean song. it's just stade you don't pronounce stard. the the end of stade oh there but... you go
0: okay stade excuse me stade to the song i yeah. wouldn't get laughed out of france no, Maybe.
1: I mean, they would know you were an American, but you wouldn't get <laughs> laughed out of the country. They would understand what you were talking about. Well,
0: um, the Men's Eagles, they did play Tupacan, um, at the home of the Utah Warriors. Now, it wasn't Tubasan's top side, but they still had some, you know, they were missing a couple players, you know, in this Rugby World Cup obviously going on. The Men's Eagles didn't have their full, you know, team. But, you know, watching it... And, they won the game right like that that means something that's important and and to, and to, to play at home they haven't done it in a while since you know some disastrous rugby world cup qualification results it's good to see them win on, on home soil and did you did you take in and, and watch any oh and also before you mentioned it i think they set a guinness world record for the most people in a scrum which is yep. which is interesting so
1: yeah it's a cool thing
0: <laughs> did you watch the game at all
1: yeah, yeah, I watched that that live. I think it, thought it was a really good performance from the U.S. And there were some comments online from uh, French fans, mostly being like, "What is this team?" and and I get that, but you know, it was not their first choice team, but it also wasn't our first choice team. Yeah. It was it was notable how many players the USA was missing. I mean, all of the overseas guys, including uh, David, I knew who was playing for <laughs> for the other team. Um, but also there were a bunch of you know there's a lot of players injured right now and then there's a lot of players who just weren't playing in this match um yeah you know jack iscaro was not it, you know, despite being the clear first choice a uh, loose head prop he wasn't wasn't playing in this match either so it was really a b-side for the usa as well and i think it's really notable that they they managed to be even a b-side of a top 14 team because it's one of those where you'll you think about it and this is a bunch of mlr players these are guys who are getting paid mlr wages and you know would presumably jump at a chance for a top 14 contract playing against a bunch of guys who would who have top 14 contracts and are clearly perceived as being good enough to have earned those and so it's it's not nothing that they that they won this and i think it says good things about the mlr that they won this that in the talent gap isn't necessarily as big as as it could be, but that said, I thought the U.S. has a lot to work on from that match. There was it was not a very coherent attack. Um, they they tended to just offload it once and then go to ground. It wasn't there was a lot of knock ons from both teams. The there were moments where you could see the the just sort of innate physical talent difference between the two squads where you know Tulason would they would they would get a half break and one of their guys would accelerate in a way that just looked completely different from anything that the USA had and mm-hmm. would hit a speed that the USA players just couldn't match and I think that's that's an interesting to, thing to think about and to look at and obviously these are some of the, the top players in the world playing in one of the best professional leagues for one of the best professional teams in the world so it's it's probably not surprising that a bunch of even top mlr players are not matching that but in the past the usa has had some good fast guys and i know we have some fast guys but they're just not i guess they weren't on the field they weren't the ones ones playing for this team so it's it's going to be interesting to see if that that plays out in the in the future. If if the USA becomes a, a slightly slower side because they're focusing on on other traits in players.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you, you brought up a couple of points. One, this was a um, a maybe um, I mean, it's not the right phrasing, but a promotional game, right? Like this this wasn't a a, a none of the players earned a cap for it. I Exhibition. Believe. Exhibition. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. I think um the the Eagles had like twenty five guys on the on the match day roster. Um yeah. I thought the crowd was was pretty good. It seemed like it was, you know, pretty well uh attended. You know, and coming off of uh an interesting maybe a step forward, two steps back, uh little mini tour uh against, you know, some of the teams that were in the rugby world cup. Good again to, to get a W. Um you know, I don't know if Ruben DeHaas played in the game, considering he would have been down in South Africa. But you know, he—it seems like he had a successful ACL reconstruction surgery. You know, but you know, as we look ahead to November, and there's talks about a couple of, of games. I don't think anything's been announced yet. Um, good, maybe just to get some momentum for, as you said, these MLR players that are in the off season against even if it's a B or C squad of the top 14 these are players who are rounding into form whose season is about to begin in a little bit so seemingly maybe just playing more cohesively because they're in a professional environment over there in France and because they're getting ready and fit for the season um you know i thought for the most part all things considered the ben eagles played pretty well so uh, yeah optimistic about what things look like come november well, IKP, I want to jump over real quickly to the USA Women's Eagles. They've announced a new interim head coach who's going to join the squad as they start preparations for the WXV2 competition in South Africa. And that's former Georgia men's national team head coach, Milton Haig. He's going to be taking over from Richard Ashfield. The Women's Eagles, I believe, are traveling to Dublin, Ireland to train there for a little bit. They're going to take on Wales at the, the end of September before they travel to South Africa for the WXV2. But um, so Milton Hague used to coach the Georgia men's national team. I think coached them to the Rugby World Cup in 2015, in 2019. Um, and I think Rich Ashfield, who's the Stanford director of rugby, I guess he's going to be returning, I guess, to that kind of position. But it sounds like there's going to be someone in place there for the women's Eagles. I mean, if you just look at kind of what they've done in the last couple of years, you know, they're right, they're right outside, I feel like that top four, right? You know, England, New Zealand, Canada. Um, and then they're kind of in that mix with Wales and Australia and that five, six, seven. But I feel like we're kind of like treading water as some of these other nations are starting to get better here i mean i don't know what what are your thoughts just kind of what do you hope to see out of the women's eagles over these next couple of months like is the expectation that they win their the wxv competition i think they're playing like italy and scotland
1: i think they definitely can win the wxv two. i feel like there's no reason there's no one who's clearly better than them it should they i feel like they should be the favorites but it's going to be tough. I mean, like you say, everyone else is getting better and we we don't seem to be improving that much. And I think that's really what I I hope for is I hope to see some forward progress. And I feel like we've got the players to do it. There's the talent on the roster. I mean, the number of players we've got over in the, the women's premiership and there's some there's a good mixture of experienced veterans and new people coming up so i i feel like the opportunity is there but we'll have to see i'm hopeful because i think i think this could be a pivotal time you've got women the women's game really taking off in a way that it hasn't up until now and you've got professionalism really taking off you've got talks of professionalism happening in the united states Uh, particularly around like professionalizing the women's premier league. And that, you know, this is a pivotal moment, I think. And if it's not embraced by the U S if it's not incorrectly leveraged, they could get left behind, you know, and drop down. I mean, I think, I think realistically they're going to stay within the top 10, but it, it wouldn't be great for the U S to go from being one of the top nation, you know, top handful of nations to being, you know, eighth or ninth, which which could happen if they don't, you know, get on the train now and figure out how to compete in the new era that women's rugby is, is achieving.
0: It's a great point. Can't get left behind. You know, and I think we've seen on the men's side, like the men's Eagles have slipped from um, at one point they were ranked twelfth or thirteenth in the world right after the, the twenty nineteen Rugby World Cup and now down to eighteen seemingly trading spots up and down with like Romania and stuff like that. So yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's, there's resources and money flowing into the women's game, primarily overseas that, I mean, there's the WPL here in the U S that, you know, with, with, which is great, more attention and media exposure and dollars flowing into, into women's sports. You gotta, you gotta feel like the WPL is next. And I just hope that we continue to see more investment uh, in the women's game because in the U S women's team should be a top four, top three team, you know, competing for, you know, opportunity to win a rugby world cup. Particularly with us uh, hosting it what in, in twenty thirty three, so like right around the corner. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think what you're seeing is similar to what's happened to the men's team, where you have you've had a sort of second wave of professionalism in men's rugby. You know, the the top nation's all professionalized you know, a few decades ago now, but the the second tier men's sites were largely amateur. I mean, you look, you look 10 years ago, they were basically all amateur operations with a handful of... Everyone would have their handful of overseas professionals who, who would come in and play for them, but for the most part, amateur. And then that's changed. I mean, the U.S. got MLR, the U.S. and Canada, but you had... Uruguay and Chile get, you know, their their professional set up in what was originally Superliga Americana, but now is Super Rugby Americas, and I think that's making a difference. And you've got Europe has sort of two, tier two Europe has professionalized as well, and so now we were talking about um, Namibia being basically the only amateur setup left in in the rugby world cup and you know they've got a handful of they've got like five mlr players i think and that's about it for professionals professionals for them and that that used to be everyone but it isn't anymore and the usa has managed to sort of fumble this the the opening part of this this tier two professionalization wave and that's why they dropped from the top of tier two you know really able to compete at the top of the 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 amateur squads and then now that everyone else is professionalized now they've dropped to the bottom Mm -hmm. of that tier two Um, and i think that will change but i think it it will take a change of attitude from usa rugby and how the squad is organized and run and how the talent pools are organized because professionalism changes all of those things and so then you look at the women's game, and you have professionalism at the top tier just starting out, and you've got, you know, England's really the only place that is that has really embraced professionalism and made professional a professional women's league, and and that's why they're they're basically the best, them and then New Zealand and Canada's managed, managed to stay at the top, but they're sort of at the top of the amateur group, and as more women's leagues go professional and it's more professional women's players are out there if you have a sort of semi-amateur setup it's going to be harder and harder to compete and the usa could drop and if they don't win this moment like the exact same thing that happened to the men's team could happen to them and they could sort of drop 10 spots in the rankings and and all these nations that they used to be favorites against They'll be underdogs against.
0: So a lot to a lot on the line here seems like coming up over the next couple of weeks here.
1: Yeah, so, so excited
0: yeah. with the with the you know maybe the extra pressure and you know maybe USA rugby waking up to see the opportunity. And there was a couple of links shared about the, um, the the growth numbers in rugby and a lot of it's driven by uh, participation rates um, and grassroots. But a lot of it are, are, are young girls playing rugby, which is which can only be yeah. good things for the sport around the world.
1: Yeah, I encourage everyone to listen to your rugby happy hour conversation with um, Wendy Young, who does the the scrum half connection and covers a lot of women's rugby news. If you're if you're interested in where women's rugby is going, she's she's the one who knows.
0: Yep, for sure. She and Jackie Finland. She does a uh, rugby breakdown. She covers primarily. I shouldn't say primarily, but she covers the, the women's college game too. I think we're going to chat with her next week. So they'll be able to give a lot of insight on that. I'm looking forward to both those conversations. Um, AKP, I want to s- throw it back to some MLR news. You know, we're excited about how DC was making some moves, but there's a couple other teams that are kind of wheeling and dealing here. And I got to bring up this trade between the Seattle Seawolves and the Houston Sabercats. So Seattle Seawolves traded fly half AG Alatimu to Houston for USA International, Joe Taufete, I got to say, that's an interesting move, right? Because Seattle had just traded Jordan Chait to LA. And then a week later, they brought former Austin Gronies fly half, Mac Mason, into the thing. And then they just sent AJ down to Houston to get, you know, prop hooker Taufete. I got to say, both sides, both sides will probably get some pretty solid player out of that deal. What would you think of that trade?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one from Seattle. I don't quite know what they're... Because, you know, last year they had... Uh, they've had Alatimu forever. And then Chait came in and was also really good. And then they just decided to get rid <laughs> to dump both of them and go for Mac Mason. Or maybe they both wanted out. It, it's hard to say, but it, it doesn't... On the face of it, it doesn't really make any sense. I don't get what they gain. These all seem to be lateral moves, and I'm not quite sure what they're hoping to achieve by them but maybe yeah. there's a plan up there you got to assume
0: you know, if you look down in houston you know the, if you're a fan of young college rugby players particularly american fly halves right houston drafted max schumacher the, the fly half fullback out of Cal. we'll see what he ends up playing in mlr and the hope is that you know he could potentially develop as a fly half but he went from okay seemingly directly behind davy Quitzer to now all of a sudden Koitzer and AJ Halatimu, you know, in the fly half room. Again, he, he could probably learned learn a ton from both of those guys. But, um, you know, I just wonder what that means for his, for his playing time at 10. I guess, you know, we'll find out uh, there. A couple other things I want to bring up. The Toronto Arrows, they have re-signed uh, Sammy the Boot Malcolm, their fly half Um Head injury, I believe, early part of last season. It's good to see that he is returning. They also just re signed uh, Mitch uh, Richardson, a center. I think Toronto is going to uh, be a vastly improved team simply because they stole probably the best players from, <laughs> from the ATL on that fire sale. You know, so yeah. the,
1: uh,
0: I think the East is going to be beast again uh, yeah. in 2024. Yeah, it could, I guess we'll find out. Certainly be. Yeah. And then the newcomers to the East, the Miami Sharks, they've announced where they're going to play their home games, AKP. They're going to be playing in Fort Lauderdale at the training grounds of Inter-Miami FC, which is the MLS club, I believe, where Messi plays. So my question, obviously, of course, is Messi going to attend a Miami Sharks game? Wouldn't that be something else? Um, Sounds like it's going to be a uh, a venue that can expand to hold about 5,000 fans, uh, but cool to see that Miami Sharks have selected where they're going to be playing home games. So it won't be in Miami. It'll be Fort Lauderdale, just a quick little 40-minute drive north of Miami, but uh, I'm excited for what Miami is going to bring to the table in 2024. All right, <clears throat> AKP, we got to get to it. We got to talk some Rugby World Cup. <clears throat> you mentioned chaos. There's been some chaos. Before we get to the chaos, there's two things I wanted to bring up here. One, uh, LaRue Milan, right? You, you probably saw the injury that took place in the New Zealand match. They had stopped the game. Pretty gruesome, right? But it sounds like the injury wasn't as bad as everyone thought it was and that um, the surgery has gone well. And it sounds like the timeline for recovery is four to six months. So um, you never want to see a player go down, particularly a player like Milan, who's, I think, a, a top – Top center and, you know, getting quality minutes for Namibia. But it sounds like his recovery is going to be going well, and he should not be out for a long time there. Got to bring up San Diego Legion hooker Samo Malolo. He scored two tries for Samoa in their 43-10 win over Chile. Excited for that, but I got to think AKP. It's Malolo might be getting the eyes of some super – you know, super rugby teams over there. would love for him to be able to stay in MLR. You know, we'll see. Again, I'm not, I don't know anything, but, uh, you know, you score two tries in a Rugby World Cup match. You're going to catch the attention of some folks. And he's a big, young player. Love to see him stick around in MLR, but I feel like super rugby and other leagues are going to pick up that phone and inquire about his availability.
1: Yeah, that that could definitely be. It's going to be interesting to see, I'd love to see some news organization keep a tracker of like all the tier two guys who get picked up by, by top squads after this World Cup, because so it is always an effect. You put these guys on the biggest stage and, you know, overlooked talent from other countries suddenly gets uh, gets noticed by the, the big dogs and gets signed into those top leagues
0: picked poach you know whatever word you know you choose the word i mean it's a great opportunity uh, for them you can't yes you
1: can't argue with that and you know as much as you want him to stay in mlr to keep mlr's level high you also want him to be able to to go and get paid and and advance his career yeah absolutely
0: well, AKP, the episode, you mentioned chaos at the Rugby World Cup. So in your mind, what do you think has been the most chaotic that we've seen so far? Feel free to, uh, to enlighten us on the chaos you've seen so far and the chaos that we may see this weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, can anything be more chaotic than that Australia-Fiji match? That was, I mean, you want evidence that Tier 2 has taken steps up and that Tier 1 is not in the place that it used to be. That was the match, because Fiji matched up against Australia man for man. They were physical the whole time. It seemed like Australia just expected them to fade at some point, and then they didn't. They had control of that match. Australia really didn't have any answers for anything. I mean, the one... (laughs) They got a couple of tries, I think, Australia. But their first try was they only got it because the referee missed a a pretty clear hands... Or playing it on the ground from Australia. So it they were lucky to get two tries. And it's cool to see from Fiji. And it's what you want. I mean, I know people... It's probably not what Australia wants. I don't think it's good for Australian rugby. But maybe it is. Maybe they need the, the kick in the pants. The, the, you know, things are not good. Like, let's actually try and change them. Because a lot of Australian rugby's problems come from rugby Australia. You know, it's just like Rugby Canada's problem or Canadian rugby's problems come from Rugby Canada. You know, it's. I think it's been as bad as it was to miss the World Cup for the USA. It's also what started creating change here. So I think, you know, maybe the same thing happens in Australia if they, if they really have a bad World Cup here. And it's cool to see Fiji get the win. And the first time in like 60 years or something. So... That has to take the peak chaos. But there was also other chaos. Well... Yeah, France, well, uh, yeah, Uruguay. Uruguay putting in a really, really good shift there. Um, not quite coming away with the win, but, you know, that didn't look like a Tier 1 versus Tier 2 matchup. Um, you know, Japan didn't quite do the same against England. Um England just managed, they did, Japan did fade towards the end of the match, but that was a good first half of rugby, and by good first half of rugby, I mean it was disastrous, terrible, absolute shit rugby, but, <laughs> but it was chaotic.
0: You know, it's funny, you, you, you know, just going back to Wales, Australia for a second, they play each other this weekend, one of those teams is not going to, Australia loses that game against Wales they're not getting out of that pool. It doesn't look like it, right? And on the heels of bringing back Eddie Jones, and then right before they uh, host the Rugby World Cup in 2027, of course, as the host nation, they automatically qualify. But um, be a big black eye for rugby Australia if if the Wallabies cannot get out of their pool. And that very much could happen. And of all nations, Wales, which has seemingly struggled you know, the last 18 months as well, you know, we'll see. And we'll see. So there's chaos in pool C, pool D. I mean, pool D there's really still, you know, four teams at play here, England, Samoa, Japan, Argentina. You know I know England right now is two wins and they're a top there, but um, one of those teams, <laughs> who is it going to be? Is it going to be Japan? Is it going to Argentina? I have thought Argentina was going to win that pool outright. Uh, but, obviously, that loss to England, which, as you mentioned, is extremely chaotic. And they were up a man, too. Uh, but George Ford and that boot of his, man, they better have, like, a million-dollar insurance on that foot. Because that's how England's going to win the Rugby World <laughs> Cup.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I've come around to the possibility that England might actually win it. And they, if they win it, it's going to be, like, the 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 worst, like, least fun win they're no fun to watch like if i wasn't an england fan i would not watch their matches because it's it's the worst sort of rugby but it's i i'm just glad they have an identity as a fan i'm just glad that they've got a plan and you know maybe it'll work maybe it won't but it's better than the i don't know the bs that they've they've tried to shovel on us for the last however many years
0: now there's there's two other matches this weekend that um I'm eager to watch. Uh Scotland versus Tonga. That's gonna be interesting. That's not a that's not a gimme win for Scotland at all. I don't think it ever has been, but Tonga is game and and look, man, they right there in, in um Tonga, right there in, in pool B, they could, you know, they they want to be able to automatically qualify for the twenty twenty seven Rugby World Cup and by beating Scotland if they can get third there, I think they automatically qualify, you know, this is be a big win for them. Um, it should be an interesting match there. But of course I think the biggest match of this round is Ireland versus South Africa, particularly because South Africa announced their bench, that seven, one split. You gotta love South <laughs> Africa. I mean, you talk about chaos right there. That is getting yeah. me of shaking things up. And man, I, I think they I I don't know if they get a bigger kick out of like poking the eye of like a rugby traditionalist, but when I saw the seven one split, I mean true classic South Africa bomb squad style, I think we I think we know their approach to this game.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: If I'm a 38, 39 year old Johnny Sexton, I gotta be looking there looking across thinking, Oh man, I hope I survived this one. But it's gonna be a big match because you those two squads have the, had the chance to, to go all the way and, and win it. I'd love to see Ireland do it, but um, I guess we'll, we'll see seven one split. That makes me a little nervous. But what what chaos?
1: Yeah, I I just love that when you look at the schedule, you've got England or you've got Ireland South Africa competitive match, England Chile probably competitive you've got Wales Australia competitive match yep. Argentina Samoa competitive match mm-hmm. Scotland Tonga competitive match Georgia Portugal probably competitive match like these are there's not a bad match in that list except for England and that's just cuz England plays like trash but <laughs> it, you know i it's such a good lineup of uh, there should be a lot of good fun rugby and yeah. You know, have we had a World Cup that's been this good?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. Um, You know,
1: some there's been good top end rugby, but Tier Two is so competitive these days that they, you know, there really haven't been blowouts. There was the one. Namibia is really the weak link left because they don't have the professionalism. But in every other game, even when there's a better team. No one has looked overmatched, and I think Romania. Romania got
0: Romania got bruised around a little bit. True, but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But but even when teams have lost by a fairly large margin, you know, England managed to put up quite a big score in the end against Japan. But they didn't look, you know, it didn't look like Japan was. didn't deserve to be on the field or whatever you know in in the past you've seen tier 2 nation comes on against tier 1 nation and the tier 1 nation is just bigger, faster, stronger and looks better in every respect and I Mm -hmm. feel like that has changed you know their subtle things are still what make tier 1 nations good but they don't just have that out and out strength and talent advantage that they used to have
0: I agree I agree AKP you know what time it is it's time for me to put you on the spot for the closing segment. So, uh, And again, everyone listening, AKP has, literally has no idea each time we do this closing segment what I'm going to ask him to say. So AKP, we are two games through the Rugby World Cup. England's third match is against Chile. They probably should win, so that will be three in a row for them. AKP, right here and right now, tell me why England is going to win the Rugby World Cup this year.
1: <laughs> England is going to win the World Cup.
0: Not saying that they will, but just give me what's the argument for it? If they do. The,
1: The argument for it is that they play such a a frustrating, like, stranglehold style of rugby where they're just gonna squeeze the life out of every single team that they face. And in the end, you know, a couple of lucky breaks are gonna go their way and they're going to win the World Cup having scored like five total tries in the entire tournament
0: England winning the Rugby World Cup this year would set the sport back about 15 years <laughs>
1: <laughs> it absolutely would it would be it would, when you create a list of like most fun Rugby World Cup finals to go back and watch this would be at the the bottom of the list
0: I love it I love it well folks this weekend if you're if you're gonna be watching the Scotland Tonga match go out to the Maryland Soccerplex AKP is gonna be out there scoping out his seat as an overwear DC ticket holder hopefully the rain holds off but if it doesn't it'll be your typical Scotland weather AKP will still be out there picking a seat um, if you're watching the Rugby World Cup I'm cheering on Ireland to beat South Africa but for my co-host, Alistair kirsch I am John Fitzpatrick. You've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. When this episode comes out, I'm sure there'll be some local NBC news, so stay tuned for that, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next week.